0: Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Thanks for tuning in. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, On the podcast today, our guest is a producer and manager of actors, writers, and directors who has vast experience in all areas of film and television. He was formerly an executive at TNT and Cruise Wagner. As a manager, he has represented actors and as head of the lit department at Affirmative Entertainment, has sold features and pilots to nearly every major company in town. He also has a number of producing credits to his name and even has two produced screenwriting credits. So we're going to get into all that. He is Nicholas Bogner. Thanks for joining us today, Nicholas. Thanks so much for having me. Normally, we get started with your background. But before that, I just actually wanted to, to ask how you're doing during the pandemic. How's business? How's your family? How's, how's everything going?
1: Well, thanks for asking. Yeah. I mean, we're doing pretty well. My, my wife has commandeered the office. I've commandeered our dining room. <laughs> my son, who's uh, a senior at Berkeley, is in his bedroom or outside patio uh, getting his work done. So as long as the Internet holds up, we're doing pretty good. I do get a couple of hysterical uh, screams like, what's going on? <laughs> like, it's my fault. But, <laughs> but of course it's my fault. I'm, I'm the dad here. Right. Um, but, you know, business, people want to try and be as normal as possible. So I'm pushing forward. People are reading. People are responsive. Um, so, you know, all it's better than it could be. That's for sure.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, at least uh, at least we're healthy, and and uh, you're still able to do yeah, business, I which mean, is a great thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, there's people who aren't healthy, so my my thoughts go out to them. But um, besides that, we're kind of just hanging in there and trying to be as normal as possible. Right. Now,
0: sort of segueing from that, uh, a lot of our Listeners are newer writers, emerging writers, and they listen to these podcasts to sort of learn two things. One, about you, obviously, as uh, as a rep, uh, your personality, your likes, your don't likes, that kind of thing, which we'll definitely get into. But they also look for advice in terms of how to get uh, a representative, how to get a manager, agent, that sort of thing. Is this a good time during this pandemic uh since you guys are at home and not in the office is it a good time or a bad time sort of to be reaching out to managers
1: i I would say it's always a good time you've got to be proactive you can't just sit back obviously you've got to be sensitive about things but you know i zoomed yesterday with two potential clients and you know, got to know them, we spent a fair, you know, in a way, you feel like you've got a little bit more time on your hands, um, less pressure in terms of I have got to run, got to jump, uh, whatnot. But um, I I, I don't think there's ever a time where you shouldn't advocate for yourself, obviously, with greater sensitivity right now, of course.
0: Mm -hmm. And your clients currently, how are they working during this time, specifically those who aren't necessarily working on an active project. Like I know there are virtual writers rooms and things like that. Uh, how are you encouraging yeah, your clients I, to remain productive? Excuse me.
1: Well, I have a couple of staff writers. So mm-hmm. they've been working on, you know, in, in virtual writing rooms, and that's proving to be more effective than they even realized. Uh-huh. Um, obviously my, my, actor business is a little, unfortunately, on ice right now for obvious reasons. Um, But some, some of the actors also are hyphenates and interested in writing and producing. But I'm really just encouraging everyone to be as productive as possible. And I'm finding that they are. I mean, I'm pretty much assaulted with a lot of material on a very regular basis from Uh, the writer clients and the hyphenate clients. And separately, or in addition to the rest of our company, you know, we're trying to pursue acting opportunities. There's still some self-taping that's happening. There's some scripts we're reading that we expect to get made when, you know, life returns to quasi-normal. So there's a lot of reading uh, and a lot of productivity. And uh, there's really... It is distracting with what's going on, of course,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I don't mean to minimize it by just saying it's distracting. I mean, it's life altering, of course, but the more you can act like things are normal and be productive, get writing done, uh, the better, in my opinion, you know, kind of like have blinders on as best as as much as possible. Right, right.
0: Now, let's let's jump into your background a little bit so we can find out more about Nicholas Bogner, the the person, and how you got into the entertainment business and all that. So maybe you can start. Look, where are you from originally, and how did you end up working in the industry? I mean, what inspired you to want to work in Hollywood?
1: Well, you can't tell from my accent, but I grew up in England, <laughs> um, born, born and bred there. The American school in London ruined me, got rid of my accent, unfortunately. And I'm old enough that it used to be cool to be an American in London, <laughs> so I kind of didn't hide my American accent back then. Um, so lived there on and off. I had a couple of years in the states, but I essentially, I grew up in London moved out here at 18 to go to UCLA. Mm. Uh, my, mo- my mother is, a lot of my family was actually, ironically, in management, even though that's a path I took on kind of later in my career, uh, more music-oriented. Um, mm. Some famous singers out of the UK, Lulu. My uncle wrote the song, To Serve With Love. You know, so there was a lot of, um, my uncle discovered Boy George in Culture Club, So there was a lot of that element. My father, who isn't really a pivotal person in my life, but nevertheless is uh, a successful novelist. And so I was always exposed to writing, publishing, that world. So I, I was really kind of more drawn to writing and screenwriting than anything else. I never really thought... I was accomplished enough to tackle a novel and I've got to give my dad credit there. That's a daunting task. So really, even though I didn't go to film school, I studied English literature at UCLA. uh, Writing was kind of the driving force to get into the entertainment industry. And really fortunately or unfortunately, there wasn't really an alternative path, path. You know, it was kind of, all in, uh, in terms of entertainment, So Mm. never contemplated anything else. And fortunately I've been able to survive in in this crazy industry.
0: Right. So what, what ended up being your first job in the industry and how did you get it?
1: My, my, I, I'm dating myself. There was a job board at UCLA Uh and, um, at, and and there was a listing of a job at APA Agency for Performing Arts, and I applied and I re- literally started the day after I graduated. Oh, wow! Um, you know, Monday morning, and I, and it it was actually even though I never wanted to go in the path of agenting because I wanted to stay more on the creative side, it proved to be a really fruitful job. Uh, one of the agents, I was in the lit department. One of the agents later became my lit agent. Um, another agent there ended up putting me up for a job with Michael Douglas, which oh. I ended up getting. Right. So, you know, I, I probably only stayed there about a year and then went over to Michael Douglas's production company at 20th Century Fox, which was kind of a great... Way into the industry, so I, my writing was still a driving force, but I, I never wanted to be on the outside looking in. I always felt better to be inside the engine room, so to speak, get to know the business as best as possible, and use those opportunities to help my writing career. Uh, that that was kind of the initial goal. So the jobs were more means to an end rather than the job. You know, it was really writing that was kind of keeping keeping me going.
0: And that kind of leads to my next question. Since you've worked in so many different areas of the business, obviously starting at APA and working as an executive, as a screenwriter, as a producer and as a manager now, how did you how did you decide that management was where you wanted to be?
1: It it, it became like the perfect storm in in a good good way as opposed to a negative way. Um, It really fulfills a lot of the lanes I've been in over the years. I mean, it's very entrepreneurial, Mm -hmm. um, you know, running the lit branch of affirmative. So it's very creative driven. You don't have to kind of stay on brand the way I did at TNT. I, it was a great experience, but we know drama, so God forbid you read anything that was funny. <laughs> no drama. Um, TBS was the comedy side, uh-huh. so you're 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 kind of limited, you know, not in a terribly negative way, but you're you're following the mantra of the company as as you have to, and management became an opportunity where you can kind of do it all. And that's also how it led me into the talent side of things. You know, someone sent me an audition for a kid out of Australia and I watched it and thought he was great. And then everyone else did. And we ended up signing Callum McAuliffe who is now on The Walking Dead. Um, So it's just fun that you don't have to restrict yourself the way you I had to in previous jobs over the years. So I feel like it's a kind of a perfect culmination of a lot of things that I've done in the past. And it's probably ultimately my favorite aspect of the business for me personally, because I kind of get to do it all, if you will.
0: Uh And having been on both sides of the desk, meaning buyer and seller, as a writer, producer, and executive, what is something that, Writers should know about the other side of the desk.
1: The buyer is as hungry as you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's hard to sell, but it, when you're in those jobs, there's a lot of pressure that comes with the job, and you've got to bring in product, you've got to bring in material, you've got to sell to your boss I was a VP so I wasn't you know at the top of the totem pole um, so really to justify your job and to keep finding projects that you end up wanting to get made you've got to be really hungry so I know it's quite daunting for the kind of emerging writer and I'm glad you use that term because some people call them baby writers which I think is somewhat you know derogatory derogatory um um but but as a buyer you are hungry as well to kind of keep that in mind we're looking for material we or you know they i should say because it's my ex career um but they're they're hungry for finding material just as you're hungry for selling material
0: as as an executive at TNT ordering time at Cruise Wagner were there any pitches whether or not you ended up buying them because obviously no one unless you're the complete head of a studio works in a vacuum there's obviously many voices that go into it was were there any pitches and you don't have to get into specifics that stood out to you that really blew you away that you thought this is something that we have we should buy whether or not again, the 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 studio or the network actually did or not. Ultimately, was there anything that just blew you away? And if so, what was it about that pitch or that project that stood
1: out? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, there's been a lot of pitches over the years. I mean, frankly, when I bring something to Tom Cruise or Paula Wagner, I'm crazy passionate about it. And, you know, I've never been one of those that I could ever, you know, fake it. I did see the um, um, uh, original, Amenabar's, you know, the brilliant Spanish director, his last name is Amenabar. And I had, we had worked on a previous project. Uh, of his, which was called Vanilla Sky, but I was the one at Cruz Wagner that got the script for the others before oh, everybody wow. else, and it was such a spectacular read, and I remember calling Paula on Saturday just to like I, you know you got i gotta get this over to you and I think it it was probably around nineteen ninety nine maybe around then. So we were still dealing with hard copy scripts <laughs> and whatnot. So I couldn't just press a button and send it to her. So I probably, you know, printed it out, drove it to her house, something along those lines. But but when I read the others, I just saw the movie, you mm-hmm. know. Um, you don't have to be a genius to, to to read that script and see the movie because it was so beautifully written. Um, and then I remember w- us suggesting Nicole Kidman, and that was a name that Amenabar did not even know. Uh, oh. You know, we had to educate him. I mean, she was starting to do amazingly well, but maybe not to the, the scope that she's at today, of course. Um, but that that was probably the one project that I just, you know, it wasn't a pitch per se. It was a spec script and it 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 was you know just a transformative script and thrilled that it ended up getting made ironically not a paramount um they passed on it and you know you don't want to give any prods to harvey weinstein but they ended up making uh, a very good movie out of it out of the script
0: right absolutely and you've had a tremendous amount of experience as an executive. So I kind of want to draw from that if you don't mind. Um, Do you have advice for emerging writers coming in, going into their first pitch meeting on things they should and should not do?
1: Um, I love writers to be off script or off book, I should say. Um, You know, when you're looking down and reading a pitch, it just takes you out of, the moment so the more you can know it the better and and don't be afraid to have cue cards or or little notes you know you don't have to it's not like you're an actor you don't have to be entirely off book but the more kind of eye contact the better i think visual presentations are a game changer for executives because you know you're hearing a lot of pitches and it just changes the dynamic of the room when there's a lookbook or even, uh, you know, I remember someone back in the day used to bring in a board and they, you know, it it just made it kind of a more, you know, it, it made it a fun experience and different from other pitches. Do your research, you know, before you go in, of course, and treat it like you're at a dinner party and you're just telling somebody a story, you know, this can't, feel like a lecture at a university it's got to be fun engaging your personality needs to come across because they're not only buying the the, the writer on the page they're also buying the person and they want to like that person because you know if you end up hiring that particular writer you're going to spend a fair amount of time with them and um, you know much better to be someone that you kind of connect with so that's probably the primary advice advice that I would give.
0: Mm-hmm. And is there anything that are sort of red flags or things other than obviously, you know, reading rote from uh, note cards or a sheet of paper, anything else that sort of stands out as maybe that's not something that you should be doing or something you need to work on other than that?
1: Well keep the pitch. If we're talking about a pitch yeah. within a reasonable amount of time, you know, I, I would kind of max out at about 20 minutes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, if you're meeting f- for a general, um, okay. those are the things that I would always kind of go to my assistant at the time. Why did I set up a general? And they would look at me and go, you told me to and I'd be <laughs> like, Oh, I hate generals." So, you want to bring something new to a meeting even if you know the executive read your script you know they like it they're not buying it but they want to talk about it but you want the conversation to go somewhere further and you don't even have to have the new concept fully worked out but enough to engage keep it in the same genre you know if you're talking about a thriller don't come in you know, and I've got a comedy, I, and hopefully we can talk about that because I don't mind people that are have a lot of range. But when they've read one thing, you want to kind of keep it in the spirit of of that same kind of ilk. So really take advantage. Know that generals aren't the most, uh, you know, the favorite thing of an executive. You could say, well, why did they agree to do it? And maybe. The agent or manager put pressure on them and said, you know, I really need you to meet my writer. You just don't know the full backstory. But as I said before, the executive or the buyer is looking for something to come out of a meeting. So they're going to feel so much better if there's a kernel of an idea that you ended up talking about and they're excited by it. So really take advantage of all the opportunities that you're given. Right. And uh, Oh, and I, here's one oh, one yeah. big no no though. Um <laughs> a writer who I no longer represent for good reason, and you're gonna hear the reason in a second. <laughs> I I won't name his name. Mm-hmm. But we he wrote a spectacular half hour, kind of a dramedy, kind of in that kind of our company Melanie Green produced Californication, little in that ilk, and we had a buyer. Um, this is me. Oh, sorry. I'm jumping to me as a manager. Is that okay?
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely.
1: Okay. So, as a manager, I repped this writer and we took it into a buyer. They friggin' loved this script and they were just raving, raving, raving about it, but said, you know, we do have a couple of notes and they brought them up. And they, they were really easy peasy notes. One, a writer could accomplish in 24 hours, but the writer responded with, if you've hit a hole in one, why would you take another swing? And hopefully that, that, uh, you, you, you follow that, um, what what he means like don't change a word right and they just looked at me and i looked at them and i knew the project was dead at that very moment oh, and man. the very next day they passed and um i dropped the writer because he was incorrigible he was mm-hmm. one of those people who didn't even think he did anything wrong you know it's like well i did hit a hole in one and i'm like you've never hit a hole in one Ever, ever. And none of us should ever think we've hit a hole in one. Right. So, um, so don't, don't be that person. (laughs) Right. It's easy. It's pretty easy not to be that person. Trust me.
0: (laughs) Right. And even if you did hit a hole in one, if the studio or network wants to give you more money and asks you to try to hit another hole in one to try, you would try, right?
1: You would try and not say it's already perfect. Sure. You know?
0: Um, I want to get back to range, which you had mentioned. But before that, I wanted to. We do have a lot of. I'm always surprised when I have uh, when I reach out to a screenwriter or uh, a TV writer and they listen to the podcast. Um, but a majority of our writers are, are are listeners. Excuse me, are emerging writers and newer writers. So you had meant you had talked about. We, we were talking about pitch meetings, but you had also mentioned general meetings. For writers who don't know, that are still sort of newer to the business side of writing, uh, what is a general meeting? How can writers prepare for that? And what should they expect?
1: A general meeting is really based on the executive having read you. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to agree to a general meeting unless they've read something that they like. And they probably have decided for whatever reason that they don't want to pursue that particular project. But they like your writing a lot and think, you know, they want to get to know you and see if there's going to be some receptivity, you know, some future project that they and you could work on together. So they don't come out of the blue. They come out of a good script that's been read and liked. Does that answer your question? No, absolutely. Was, was absolutely. A second part. Okay.
0: Yeah. And I think it definitely leads to the other topic that we were talking about in terms of range. When you meet with these producers or executives or whoever, uh, they're based on a script that you had read, that or written that they had read and liked, and they're meeting you to see if you can do business together, i.e. develop something together or whatever, uh, Maybe we can talk a little bit about range. When you go in, you wrote a great horror film, whatever it happens to be, and you go in to meet with this executive, you would mentioned diversity in terms of a a writer's repertoire, but also sort of limiting that as well. Because as an executive or as a producer and you're hiring someone, we have talked about it on the podcast before in terms of ideally being someone they can rely on for that thing that they're looking for as opposed to being, you know, having a wide range. Can I get your thoughts on that?
1: Sure. I mean, I think, I think things are much better for writers with range Mm -hmm. now than they used to be. Sure. Um, I had a terrific agent, a couple of terrific agents when I was a writer and, and one of the movies I got made was kind of a erotic thriller, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. And my agent really wanted me to stay in that lane. And it made a lot of sense. And that voice is in my head now that I'm a rep, but I I feel like one can pivot a lot more than before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, you know, the birth of the hyphenate is so welcome you know it's not like oh, you're just an actor stick being stick with being a right an actor and I think people see that uh there's a uh, everyone has a much greater range um and I think you know you just need to pick and choose your battle, so to speak so if someone's read a horror script of yours, that is the time. To stay in that lane or pivot, forty-five degrees, ninety degrees, but not do a one-eighty on them and say I've got a broad half-hour comedy. Right. Because uh, they just read you they like what you did, they're thinking of you for projects in that ilk. Um, you know. Yet having said that, there's, I find when I'm trying to staff writers sometimes. I'll use a feature script instead of a pilot if it's more appropriate and there's much more willingness to read it, presumably the feature scripts in that same lane, but, but there's kind of more openness. It doesn't have to be as on the money as I think 10, 15 years ago when Mm -hmm. I was doing, you know, working on the other side um, as a, producer or as an executive um so i think you just have to kind of call your shot you know i i I look at certain actors like jim carrey you know brilliant when he did the truman show now it was pretty dramatic but there was a fair amount of comedy so it was a really smart leap
0: in terms of like you said pivot forty five degrees or ninety degrees, but not a one eighty, so you were sort of saying, if they are their spec that got them into that general was a horror, maybe if they have a thriller, that could still work, but not necessarily like you would said a broad half hour comedy kind of thing. but does it matter exactly. more for newer writers as opposed to ones who have sort of a track record like would you advise newer writers to stick closer to their lane than even if they have a wide range and you've seen it because you're obviously their rep, you've seen all of their stuff. Maybe they have a great drama and they have a great period drama or whatever. But do you re- recommend that they sort of stick it, it, to that lane earlier on in their career and then broaden out or does it not really matter?
1: No, I think it's a good, uh, you pose a good question. I, I think it's probably more essential as an emerging writer mm-hmm. because you want to kind of get known for doing something really, really well. And once you're established and people know how good you are, they will recognize that there's a lot of different things that you can do and not just horror or whatever this particular genre is. So, yes, I I would lean into it more heavily as an emerging writer and less so once you're more firmly established.
0: And as... Uh, a manager of actors as well as writers and directors, we often get asked about development in terms of writers or filmmakers wanting to get their script into the hands of actors with the hope that those attachments will help them get financing. Now, that sometimes works if their talent is bankable and sometimes it doesn't if the talent is not necessarily bankable, whether domestic or foreign or what have you. As a representative of both, as you know, in terms of representing writers and filmmakers and actors, what is it that you advise to writers who want to, who think that getting an actor attached is going to help them, and what they should do about it if they should start submitting to, rep, you know, managers? of, of actors to get an actor attached. And if so, what is it as the representative of an actor that you look for when a script comes in? Obviously there's no hard offer at that point, uh, or they wouldn't be necessarily just querying you. (laughs) So what is it first again, as you would recommend to writers who are interested in sending a query with their script, trying to get an actor attached and then conversely as the representative of an actor, what you look for when a script comes in, again, assuming there's no offer attached.
1: Well, the, there's no, you know, hard and true and, you know, hard and sure. the expression. Um, but as a emerging writer, I think you're much better off looking for representation or producer to take on your project as opposed to you being the one sending it to actors. So I I think there are stepping stones and agents and managers are going to just be a little bit more receptive if it's coming from someone more established. Um, It kind of, you know, the checks and balances are kind of spoken for when it's from someone you have some experience with so it it's a crapshoot because also what if this actor and i i think the conversation could uh lend itself to directors as well do you try and attach a director do you try and attach an actor they are very you know tough calls because what if this particular director or actor you know they love him at netflix or her but don't at Amazon, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the rep side, you know, having worked for Michael Douglas and Tom Cruise, I mean, obviously incredibly high end talent, but they always want to know who's the director. I mean, that ultimately is what gets them to say yes. So it's very, they're very uncomfortable saying yes to a script without a director.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, also, you're giving the actor, in a way, too much power if they become the ones choosing the director, and then you can create another problem, which is the director doesn't want to be told who their actor is oh, right. or should be. Uh, um, so it's like, wait, I didn't quite see this actor in the movie, but I'm going to pass, not because I don't think the, I think the script is brilliant, but this isn't who I would pick for this role. So you you create, you know, problems for yourself. I mean, they're kind of good problems, if you will, but um, packaging is very tricky and it's always a dilemma. I've got a a couple of scripts set up with really strong producers and we're having that same conversation. Do we try and get an actor? Do we try and get a director? Do we go straight to the buyers? So those that quandary never quite goes away, mm-hmm. but if you're the emerging writer, stick to getting a great rep, you know, an agent or a manager, probably if you're emerging, you've probably got a better chance of getting a manager first and foremost. And let that, and then ultimately get the right producer who has those relationships with agents and managers that can, you know, help strategize with you about what is the best, forward momentum for the project.
0: Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned the first thing that they should do is instead of trying to get attachments and this and that, uh, try to get a great manager. In your mind, what makes a great manager?
1: I, I, I mean, it's it's subjective, of sure. course, but, but I can only speak. To what i do and there's a lot of great managers out there right. and i'm not saying i'm a great manager you know but i'm just saying i i i understand material really well mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like what are you looking for most first and foremost in your manager are you looking for someone who's really good with material and can really offer up another layer of notes before it goes out to market or do you want just a salesman and and not that you know so I think some people where, you know, former agents perhaps might lean into their stronger at selling than other certain managers that might be get better with material. I kind of have grown into the selling part. Um, since I'm like a 10 year vet as a manager that now comes really second nature to me. And I love that aspect, but I would say the formative years of me as a manager was, I was much stronger on the development side with Mm. material and really hands on. And that's something as kind of a former writer that I I'll never let go um, as long as the writer needs that help I mean you know it's great when you read a script and it doesn't need a lot of work but more often than not it does probably need another pass before it goes to the producers or goes to the respective agents so um, I love both but, but certainly um, the writer needs to kind of look at what they're looking for I mean some people want you know a really aggressive person who maybe will piss off people, but maybe gets helps you get a better deal. I I think you want someone who kind of reflects your personality because we're out there representing you and being your spokesperson. So be careful what you wish for, if you will. You know? so uh, hopefully that answers your question.
0: Yeah, no, that was great. Absolutely. I think that y- your explanation of find someone that reflects you, because that's what, you know, they're doing introductions in business on your behalf. So you want someone that reflects you, I think is, is a great way to to look at it. Um, now, you represent a bunch of working writers, screenwriters, uh, as well as actors, uh, like Robbie K and Cal but and I assume you get most of your prospective clients through referrals. But what are some of the other ways you may have discovered new writers?
1: I mean, I, I yes, referrals are first and foremost because there's already kind of a commonality, you know, from the respective agent or lawyer. Uh, one of my favorite recommendations, and I think it's very flattering, is when an actual client recommends somebody. Hmm. Um, that means a lot to me when it when it actually comes from a client. But I've been, you know, engaging in uh, a couple of uh, uh, writing services that really promote the emerging writer. Um, Roadmap is fantastic. I've signed several writers from that group that are now staff writers on, on shows right. and, and coverfly, fly. And I've been able to read some really talented writers from both places. And a couple of my writers are now staff writers on various shows. And so I, I have looked at uh, writers uh, that have come from from places like that. And I've had good success with it.
0: What should emerging writers, when they get the opportunity to meet with a lit rep such as yourself, what are some of the things that they should be looking for? Uh, you had mentioned find somebody that sort of reflects you, but also what should, do you think that new writers, emerging writers should go into this meeting expecting because it's a, it's, it's not just, I think a lot of emerging writers go into these meetings trying to get quote unquote hired. They want someone to sign them and they feel more one-sided as opposed to what you're mentioning, which is a relationship, which is you, you don't work for, it's, it's not you're hiring them per se right? You're signing them to represent them, but you're not hiring them per se. So what should emerging writers look for when they take these meetings with managers?
1: Well, I think they should always be armed with questions that they want to ask. Because as a manager, you know, it's kind of like a relationship. You don't want someone who feels desperate. And it's like, I really want to sign with you. And I, when I do get those emails, and they haven't met me, they're just so incredibly disingenuous. So you want, you know, look, not everyone has a big choice, like, you know, three or four managers are courting them. That's ideal because you do want to meet more than one manager so you can just get a sense of different point of views if possible. And I'm not saying that's always possible, but don't be in a desperate position. Sometimes it might be better not to have, a manager if it's the wrong manager, you know, Um, because not that you can't extricate yourself from these relationships, but, you know, sometimes it takes longer than it should. And so be smart about it. Treat it like uh, a really serious relationship that you're about to get into. And you got to go in eyes wide open and do your research, look at the kind of client list they have, See if you feel like you know you 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 mesh with this particular manager. Uh, get a sense of what their sensibilities are. You know if they lean towards certain genres or not. And as I said at the beginning, be armed with some questions. I I, I always like to turn it over to the potential client, and it's really awkward when they have no questions. <laughs> you know, I'm like, really, come on you've got to have something up your sleeve. So don't 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 be that person who's like, "Oh, I didn't think about that," you know? And also be decisive. I mean, I I, I you know, not that you have to say yes in the room because you probably you should never say yes in the room. Right. Um in a way, unless it's me and I really want you to you say <laughs> yes in the room. Um but but it's it's you know, Think about it, have a bit of a takeaway, but you know, I I think I got somebody who said, you know, I'm meeting a few managers, and three months later they reached out and said, okay, I'm in, and I'm I literally had to look them up to remind myself who they were, and wow, I, I didn't like that, you know, I didn't feel like if if it was such a torturous decision for you, then maybe I'm not the right person. So uh, again, you don't have to say yes right away, but don't don't draw it out right. endlessly, because we're going to move on and we're going to end up signing other people, and then suddenly there might not be that opening on, in our list uh, for someone like you.
0: Right. You had mentioned hyphenates, and for that I w- yes. sort of wanted to talk about. I've spoken to other managers who have said that rep- uh, breaking a writer. Is easier than breaking a writer director, or actually breaking a director, I should say. But you know, many of them also want to write. Um, you would mention hyphen as being much more acceptable now. If someone had directing ambitions, is that something that they should bring up right away, or is that something they should hold back once you've liked them as a writer, or is it something that? they tell you now and you hold back later or is it something that you know what, we're just going full bore. This is a writer director here. And I know it depends on the client. It depends on the material they have and that sort of thing, but just maybe you can talk us through sort of that process when someone comes to you, um, with the script, but they also want to direct.
1: Well, I think it's crazy not to be honest. I mean, especially in the early stages of a relationship. So, you know, be realistic if you've written a $40 million movie, and you've only done one short and you want to direct that $40 million movie, that might not be realistic, but I think it's also important for you to impress. This is the path I want to take. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm a director first writing is a means to an end. I love writing, but it's still an opportunity that will, will lead me to the directing chair, so to speak. So, it should be you should be honest, but you should also be realistic. I mean, you know i i I do have somebody who has written you know a smaller, very specific particular movie. She also directed a short that's in keeping. And I'm like, Hell, yes, you should direct this script because you've got the right short that supports it. You've written a very specific, script. I don't know who else could direct it in a way. So let's make that fight for you. Now, if we find somebody that I love this script, but I'm not going to hire you as a director, I think my client is, and we've talked about this is realistic enough to say, okay, I want to get this movie made. So I will step aside. And then there are other scenarios where, you know, you harbor a desire to direct, which frankly, as I said, your, your, your rep should know that you harbor this desire, but the movie might be one step beyond you at this particular time. Mm -hmm. So let's put money in everyone's pocket. Let's sell the script. You know, frankly, sometimes it can take a long time for these movies to get made. And during that, period of time, your directing career has emerged and then suddenly you're, you're a realistic bet to direct that particular movie. But if you had made that big you know, stance up front, it might have prevented the project from moving forward. So you've just got to be smart about it, but you should certainly be honest. I mean, that's not something to keep uh, to yourself.
0: Right. We have a few listener questions that I wanted to run by you. Um, the first, the first David asked, how does one narrow the search for management? It seems so overwhelming to figure out who would be a good fit.
1: It is overwhelming. Um, there's a lot of good managers out there. I mean, if there's any common denominator that you have with the rep, that's always something to go with. I mean, (laughs) I, I'm, I'm a big, I grew up in England, Chelsea is my football team. Mm. So I, I actually hired an assistant long distance because her name was Chelsea. <laughs> um, I'm a bit ashamed of myself for doing that, but she actually turned out to be a fantastic person. Chelsea Ball is her name. Mm. Um, but if you do have an in, that is something to play with. Um, if you have a similar alumni, um, you know, or you you know something about one of their clients, th- those are all good ways to kind of narrow your search. Um, you know, obviously IMDb Studio System, you can look up everyone's clients. It's pretty transparent. Um, so I would I would look for those kind of ins um, if possible. But if you don't have it in, you know, keep the email short and sweet and to the point. You know, if if you've won some awards or you've worked with a particular high-end element, you know, highlight stuff like that. But as soon as it's too long, many of us, or I'll just speak for myself, I'll Mm. stop reading the email. You know, so catch our eye quickly.
0: Right. And and no, it's after having done... dozens and dozens and dozens of these interviews with lit reps and managers and agents, it's not just you. It's, it's pretty much everybody. If it's long, it gets right. deleted. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. But, but I, I think, well, again, I'll speak for myself. Mm-hmm. I, I, I always will read an email. I'm not going to just delete it if I don't know the person, because there's a, always that what if sure. uh, that crosses my mind. So um, I, I think that's something to keep in mind as well right and you know like what i said about buyers before they they need to buy managers need to sign and they Mm -hmm. need clients typically even though many of us probably have a pretty full list nevertheless the what if always crosses my mind
0: sure um ramya asked what aspects about a script persuade you uh to rep a new writer
1: you know it so quickly. You know it within the first five pages. I I, I remember uh, a client that I wrapped. You know, within the first two pages, they said something like, you know, the man was six feet tall, but he walked as if he was five five. I mean, I'm butchering it, but it said so much about the character. Mm-hmm. You know, the lack of confidence that this character had, whatnot, and like when you can say a lot with few words, you're, you're not a novelist. Don't go crazy with the prose and the exposition. I mean, keep it lean and mean and Hemingway-esque, if, if you will. And I, I, I think when you can just describe things and, and as a reader, I can picture it right away, that that just helps enormously.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That, uh, that was a great illustration there.
1: I wish I didn't butcher it. <laughs> no, but no, I it got it. I,
0: exact... I understood, even if it wasn't wrote. Okay, um,
1: good. Yeah. Uh, yes, it wasn't wrote. Uh
0: Dimitri asked, if the script features a central role that the writer thinks might appeal to actors, uh, quote, kind of an oscar Beatty juicy role, does it make sense to mention that in describing the film in The Query?
1: I hate When people say this is Oscar bait, I mean, I I just think it's pretentious to be honest Mm -hmm. and let, let me think it's Oscar bait, but for you to say that just feels pretentious. Right. No, I think you can say it has juicy roles that I think will entice actors or something along those lines, but don't use the word Oscar bait Oscar. In my opinion.
0: Right. Yeah. No, to me, it definitely feels sort of like a lack of understanding of sort of the industry.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe less so now, but back in the day, you know, Oscar equates to low box office Sure. for the most part, right. you know, so there's still that association. I think it's a little bit less so now. Now we have nine, you know, nine or 10 potential, you know, best pictures and right. got great movies like The Joker and more entertaining movies now get awarded, but but still it has a connotation of being kind of small and indie to a right. degree.
0: Um and so I'm gonna wrap it up with do you have any final advice for aspiring screenwriters and filmmakers out there?
1: For writers in any area. I, I really, you know, keep writing. Know that the manager, the agent, the buyer, is also looking for material. And, you know, I don't know the full Juno story, but I believe the manager was just, you know, out there checking out some maybe porn sites <laughs> and look, look who emerged out of that. And I'm assuming he was looking for a great writer and nothing, no aspersions uh, meant <laughs> whatsoever. Um, but, you just never know where it's going to come from, you know. So we're hungry, you're hungry, and in that you pretty much have everyone's email, thanks to IMDb Pro and whatnot. You know, we're a lot more accessible mm-hmm. than ever before, and I think you know that that is you know something to be to to consider, and also. Don't be scared off or talk yourself out of it because I don't live in LA. I think that's proven to be not really a prerequisite for you. You know, in a way, it's quite, I like some of my out of town writers because when I set meetings, there's just a greater expectation for the meetings to land and not get rescheduled. Oh, right. Like they flew in, they flew in, they're only here for three days. So I, I should pretend that all my writers are out of town <laughs> you can kind of <laughs> guarantee meetings not getting changed and canceled. Um, but, but yeah, so don't even use that as an excuse that you, you live in Connecticut or whatever. It's not as long as you're willing to jump on a plane, obviously under normal circumstances, not COVID-19 circumstances, right. but that if there's a certain appetite, and they need to meet you. But, you know, even having said that, we're all having great zoom calls and realizing, you know, it's not quite the same as in person, but you still can accomplish a lot and and a good feel for a person via zoom or Skype or, you know, FaceTime. So um, really no excuses.
0: Absolutely. And uh, well, that's some great advice and great information thank you so much for coming on today nicholas and sharing uh, all the information and, and your wisdom and experience and your backstory and all that I, I really appreciate it
1: and i'm not as old as i sound or <laughs> as, as, great, as my resume indicate
0: <laughs> no not at all not at all day
1: after i graduated
0: <laughs> young at heart always
1: <laughs> young at heart
0: Uh, And as always, thank you guys for listening. Remember to keep writing, and we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks so much, everybody.